This is OTB AM. I would say that Nadal's force of will and stamina and sheer bloody mindedness is unparalleled. But nobody comes close to Federer's talent and the fact that he maximised that natural talent. And for me, that's why Federer will always be ahead of Nadal and Djokovic, even if Nadal or Djokovic win more Grand Slams than Federer. I still think Federer is the best of the three. OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show, weekdays from 7.30am, only on OTB Sports Radio. Live 24-7 on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. OTB AM. With Gillette, we don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. You ain't shit! I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. Well, fans can be the harshest critics, you know. And they often are. A wife is often the harshest critic <laughs> of her husband. <laughs> I thought I was invincible. That's what you're, you're trained to believe as a sports person. There was four million people in Ireland who knew much more about managing <laughs> football teams than I did. When it comes to music, I can spoof it the best. Your sporting career is the best time you'll have, and, you know, you have to hang on to it for as long as your life, because everything else is pretty crappy. And this is not lies. Stephen Rochard has never spoken to Jim McGuinness in his life. Welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on five three one zero six. We're streaming the panel as well now. You can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the Ball on YouTube and on Facebook. We're also streaming on the OTB Sports app. Search OTB Sports in your app store now to download it. This is the Saturday panel. Rugby has had a lot of challenges at the moment. Financial scheduling issues during the pandemic. The bombshell of the consequences of concussion and what it's done in the game. Still, the sport very popular. You just need to look at the Six Nations viewing figures to know that. Now, rugby has changed enormously over the last quarter of a century. For so long, it was an amateur game, now it's professional. The way the game is played has changed. So to look back on the then and analyze some issues around the now, over the next hour, we're joined by three former Irish internationals, ex-Munster and Shannon second row Mick Galway, the former Leinster and Lions prop Nick Popplewell, and a winger who played for London Irish and was key in increasing the player's voice in the game with Irupa, Niall Woods, the current MD of Navy Blue Sports. Mick, Nick and Niall, how are we all getting on? How are we doing, John? Good. How are you, Mary? I'm good as gold anyway. I don't see Niall looks a bit vacant on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> He was always vacant, even as a player. We didn't I see. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Ah. Never showed up. Yeah. yeah, it only took yeah. A, it only it only took fifteen seconds for the slagging lads. Um, uh, so rugby was declared open by the International Rugby Board on the twenty sixth of August, nineteen ninety five, ringing in the professional era just over two months after South Africa won the World Cup. Uh, Nick and Mickey were down in South Africa. Uh, to people who don't remember, it was a completely different world back then. Um, just go to go back to uh, the day job and actually being an amateur, uh, Nick Popplewell. What were you doing day to day, and how often in the week were you training? Ooh, it's funny because I'm a young fella now playing at the moment, and I would obviously just a couple of ground rules before we start: no cursing, correct? That's right. Yeah, and no libel. Don't libel anybody. Don't libel anyone. <laughs> Can't promise that. No. Can't promise that. Mick, just tell us what date were you married again? Just want to. 34, oh jeez Poppy, that's a tricky, that's a tricky one, no, but at least I know that one, 31st of July, uh, 1993. Okay, very good, yeah, very good. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm still married, the by the way. John, sorry. Oh, the other <laughs> thing is, I can't promote the fact I'm an auctioneer in Wexford and I'm looking for houses in Helen's Bay. Isn't that correct? You, you can't do that, no. Absolutely. Okay, I won't do that then. Even though you just right. have. But back to, <laughs> I suppose, our weekly routine um, would have been probably busy enough um, if it was in the in the Interprose, which was basically, you know, playing Munster, Ulster and Connacht, and that was it. Uh, the exiles at the end, we would have been probably training Monday and Wednesday with Leinster and Tuesday and Thursday in the club. Um, we would have always had a match on a Saturday. Um, if there was an Irish match coming up, we would, after that Saturday match, we would probably rush down probably eight or nine pints and then be ready for a meeting on the Saturday evening um, and do a fairly hefty scrummaging session, I think, on the Sunday golub, as far as I remember. Uh, First thing Sunday morning, always yeah. with the scrummaging but session, was, I think for the, some reason. The difference was we always had a good match on a Saturday. And I mm. think certainly um, with with COVID at the moment, it's it's been, I think, so frustrating for players because I think we're looking at matches in the telly and we're saying, you know, God, they're looking a little bit ring rusty or not as sharp as we're used to. Um, I think that's because obviously there's been very, very few matches, you know, very, very few competitive matches. Yeah, and Mick, like you played 113 times for Shannon. You dominated the AIL. I mean, you like uh, legends like Axel Foley, the, the late great Axel and, and Quinny and everything. Um, what was it like back then in the amateur era playing for a club like Shannon? Yeah, like it was it was amazing. Um, I suppose, you know, the, the AIL was very good for Irish rugby. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm not just saying because like we were successful because we weren't successful in the first four years. Um, the likes of Gary Owen, Cork Con, and Young Monsters were winning it, and 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 we kind of felt um, we just kind of felt that we were as good as them, and yet we couldn't win the AIL. And then, luckily enough, um, we won four times in a row. But the bottom line is, we had we had some exceptional players. And I remember one of the days going out, and like our our, our pack, for example, was um, my um, John Hayes, Mark McDermott, who played Ireland A. Um, John Hayes, Marcus Horn, myself and, and Brian Rigney and, and Harvey Quillen and um, Foley and, and Mick Fitzgibbon in the back row. So like that was an exceptional pack for a club side. And because um, like we knew we, we knew we had, we had a good side. And I suppose at the time, you know, in the mid 90s, it was we were kind of some of us were professional. More of the lads weren't. And um it it was, I suppose the AIL was 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 massive back then. For example, I remember like we played uh, Gary Owen in, and I think in in ninety eight, and um, I think there was about twenty five thousand people at the AIL final. You know what I mean? And this is two Limerick teams. Um, and then obviously the the whole thing switched over to the to the provinces, which they call clubs now, which I'll never get used to, by the way. But um, you know, it it um it was it was fantastic. It was. We knew we were on a road to something very successful, and yet at the same time, we didn't know where it was going. Um, I can remember at the time there was talks of that, that clubs should um, represent the, the Ireland, for example, um, but it was never going to be a runner. And thankfully, and I suppose this is one of the great things about the RFU, like they have the four teams, and you know the four the four provinces of Ireland has been there forever, and it was a, it was an easy fix. But certainly, club rugby had had a big impact, I suppose. 
in the early days, particularly on the professional game, um, and then unfortunately, and I, and I still, I still feel bad about the club game. Um, it's it's kind of gone off the the, the charts yeah. now. You know what I mean? But I think Olive. I think more than ever. I certainly, you know, looking at um, and probably studying Leinster more in depth now. Um, I think there's very very few issues or negative issues you'd have. If you had one, you'd be saying lads need more matches. And I mean, you're seeing lads literally maybe getting a match every three weeks and playing for 20 minutes. And I know, granted, a few positions you can get away with that, but certainly in the front row, you know, you're learning your trade the hard way. And there's only one way. I mean, a scrummaging machine is fantastic, but it doesn't kick or bite and um, curse at you or whatever. But really, you know, there is no substitute for live games, even if it is, you know, Playing for Wexford Wanderers or Gorey or you know your your Greystones, your Lansdowns, you know it's it's Ab- absolutely it. yeah you can't be. I remember I remember I was at Paul Wallace one time. He said he had gone on to Castle Island to to play a Munster Junior Cup match. You know what I mean? But I know and I know the fellow he was marking. He was a farmer from from down below, and he said it was the one of the hardest lessons he ever got. And and I knew Lord Poppy, particularly in the front row. You need you need to need to earn your stripes. You need to be turned inside out. Yeah. Before you're ever going to make it be, be a prop, and that's yeah. only at club level. And Mal, we want to bring you in here as well. Like uh, I was reading Brendan Fanning's book uh, from there to here about uh, the amateur to professional, the transition, and you went down to Australia for a tour in 1992, and it, it read like a complete shambles. And then you also left Ireland to play in London at London Irish and Harlequins. What was your journey like? Uh, as the boys said, the AIL really was the start of it, sort of in the early 90s, and then that actual tour was 94. To Australia, Gollum was on it. I think Poppy, you were injured, so um, I, I don't remember any stories about Gollum on that tour. So um, <laughs> you, I have a few here, so you can save them. Do up. I? <laughs> <laughs> I won't if you won't. <laughs> I think Poppy, that, go ahead, head now if you want. <laughs> I think that. Sorry, Niall, apologies, brother. Listen, good to see you. I know you're late, but listen, nice to. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> I'll always be seven years younger than you, though. So uh, that, that tour for me, John, was a turning point. I was probably about 78, 80 kilos, and the Aussies who had won the World Cup in 91 were just massive, even the backs. So that was really, as I said, a turning point. Then you had a mixture between AIL playing with Leinster. It went from playing sort of three games in December a year against Leinster, or Ulster, Munster and Connacht, then the Exiles into, I think, the 95-6 season. We had 11 or 12 games, so it was almost pro then, even though the game had gone pro in August 95. Uh, and then I went to London, so I love London. Um, probably played my best rugby as a pro, but I definitely enjoyed the times, the amateur days. It was so much fun, so many stories. Obviously, obviously I'll see Gal of the odd time. I haven't seen Poppy for a while, but they're straight into taking the absolute mickey out of me, uh, which is no, no, nothing new. So, and it's the same when you see guys from that, that vintage. I certainly remember one story you're talking about the Australian World Cup. Um, I remember because they won the World Cup, they picked a match. I think Barbarians decide they play against them. And um, as was customary then, you went out for a few bevies the night before with the Australians, as in the Barbas did. And I think we got back at around three o'clock in the morning, as we normally did. Um, and. The, also, in a Barbarians match, it's always a running game and people say how fantastic and how fit everyone is. Absolute rubbish. 
normally there was an agreement between the two packs that basically, lads, you lean in in the scrum, our line out ball, we win it, your line out ball, you can have it. I was, uh, who was I? I think our front row was, it was myself and Proben. I'm not sure who was stuck in the middle. Um, irrelevant anyway. But any agreement was no pushing in the scrums. Anyway, first scrum, five yard on the Australian line. And Proben just looked over at me and he said, bets off, pops. <laughs> and we pushed them over, got a five yard, got a five yard try or push over, whatever. And I think it was probably one of the roughest, most physical barbarians matches up front that ever was ever played. It was just no holds barred after that. Anyway, sorry about that interjection. No, but it is all about the stories, isn't it? Like, uh, Mick, uh, like I, was re I was watching the field over Christmas and Richard Harris and admiring his performance. And you're getting phone calls from Richard Harris after you're winning games in Munster. That must have been a, a, a bit of a surreal experience. It was. It was amazing. I remember, I, and, and the story is, um, and, and I'll tell you another story about the field. I remember coming off um, in 2000, um, I was captain of Munster and we beat um, Toulouse down in Bordeaux. And I'm coming off the pitch and it was Nigel Sammer Smith, you know what I mean? That, you know, in fairness, him, and, uh, you know, he said, uh, Richard is on the phone. And I'm thinking, who the is Richard? You know what I mean? And I said, Richard? Yeah, he said, he's in Mexico. And then I'm totally bamboozled. I said, who the hell is Richard in Mexico? But it happened to be Richard Harris. And, and I suppose in Limerick, um, they call him Dickie Harris. But I got on the phone to him, and, and I swear to God, he's crying down the phone, like, he's literally crying down the phone, congratulating me and telling me how, how great it is. But And he asked me, can I come to the final? And I said, of course you can. But, like, I didn't really think it out because... Richard Harris was a Young Munsters fan, right? And every game he ever went to for Young Munsters, he lost, right? And, and the Young Munsters lost. And um, so they called him the Jonah. You know, they were calling Richard Harris the Jonah, but little moving on to the, 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 the Heineken Cup final in, 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 in Twickenham against Northampton, of course, we lost. And who walks into the dressing room morning? Richard Harris. I hadn't even thought about it anymore. And, of course, Klaus saw him, you know? <laughs> and you can only imagine what Klaus said. <laughs> He said, what the beep are you doing here, you Jonah? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was like, those days were fantastic. But getting back to Richard Harris again, the field, I remember we played, back. At, remember probably back in the days where you'd go to the cinema the night before a match, right? Oh, good it was God, an Ireland yeah. A match below in Thorman Park. And... Um, God, what, it had to be 90, I think. We were playing Argentina. Was that 90? Maybe around 89. Near enough. Maybe anyway, 90. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, um, I got dropped after on? that, anyway. What's that? I got dropped again you after did, that. Yeah, Paco, the, real, the real prop came in after yeah. that. But <laughs> I remember Gordon Hamilton being at playing for Ireland Day. And Gordon, of course, was an Ardy and the whole lot. But he didn't really understand. Maybe the, the Irish country, you know, the Republican psyche he came out of the field like he was trembling like he said he didn't know what what the hell is going on here he thought he'd gone through it all in the troubles in the north but this was a completely different animal altogether. <laughs> we, we went to watch the film the night before and i swear to god we were pumped the following day just a shame we weren't playing maybe someone like england or something when we were playing argentina um yeah Harris, you know, 
And God be with today's, and I don't think it happens anymore, when, when celebrities came into the dressing room, and Richard Harris is one of those, and, you know, I don't think that happens anymore, particularly maybe in the modern game. Yeah, Niall, you ended up playing uh, at the Old Wembley. It was a, it's, a, it's a strange thing to look back in yeah. your career and go that you played at, at a ground that doesn't exist anymore. It was incredible because we obviously grew up watching the FA Cup final. I think it was, was it the first or second Saturday in May, and it was the whole build-up on BBC the full day, the road to Wembley. So I hadn't been picked for about three years. I used to get dropped quite a lot. Um, and playing in England, and there was the split between picking home-based players and, and overseas players. So I remember uh, walking up the tunnel, which I would have seen as a kid for years and years and years, out onto the pitch. It was just incredible to walk out and play there. And then the pitch, of course, was absolutely spectacular. So we actually played Wales there because the Millennium Stadium was being built for the, for the World Cup in '99. So, and we beat them, which is probably a good thing because they followed up two weeks later and they beat England and denied them a, a grand slam, I think the third or fourth time in a row they had bottled it. But a brilliant experience. You were fantastic, Golov, too. I remember I know, seeing I was that. Man of the match. I was you were man of the, the match, yeah. Unbelievable. But now, remember after, we were in the, the, um, the original Reef. old dressing rooms. And do you remember the yeah. big bats inside it with the, with the, the big, the, oh, yeah. what is it, the... the Three lines or whatever it was. Union you know, Jack. Was same. What's that? Union, Union Jack. Jack. Oh, Jesus, yeah. The whole shooting match. But, um, yeah. like, and as you said, I'm just backing up what you said. Like, I was lucky enough maybe to play, I've played in a lot of great stadiums, but um, to have played in Wembley was certainly up there. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a once-off, but, to, you know, to have, to have ran out there was, was fantastic. I my think that, my that, vivid memories of Wales are... We, I, in fairness, we didn't win very many matches on reflection, but we never lost in Cardiff Arms Park. Never. God, never. Uh, but we never beat them in Lansdowne Road. <laughs> so that's, I think, six, yeah. six all. Yeah, something like that. Like, it was it was amazing, Poppy. Do you remember, like, even when we were getting the wooden spoon every year, we still managed to beat Wales. I can remember one, just to say how things have changed, I think we're going to address on that later on. I remember prior to a well, so we would have been playing on a Saturday, so Friday anyway, we were all tucked up in bed, probably around, I suppose, yourself and myself, and um, Claude probably went just out for a nightcap, just a couple to help us sleep. But the uh, fire alarm went off in the hotel at three o'clock. Remember that? So we were all in the car park. Again, I better not say any more bleeps. All in the car park, and as it transpired, the selectors were in a private bar, and they were smoking so many cigars that the alarm went off. <laughs> we were there, you know, whatever it was, 10 hours before an international. They were there, and Sid Miller came up to me and said, oh, geez, you're playing against so-and-so tomorrow. You know, get down there, I'll show you how to scrummage against them. And then you're kind of saying, you... I can, I can remember as well. My, I think it was my first away game in the Five Nations in Edinburgh. And the amount of alakadoos, I just, I'd heard about alakadoos and hadn't seen too many of them. We get off the plane in Edinburgh and there's four coaches to go to the team hotel on the Thursday afternoon. Three coaches are for alakadoos and one for us. And then when we get to the hotel. Yes, and, and. And the first three coaches were the alakadoos. Yeah, the last <laughs> coach to leave was ours, in fairness. Yeah. yeah. And when you try to check in, you were pushed out of the way by the Alakadoos because they were all there for their freebie for the three nights with their wives, everything. 
You couldn't make it up, but it's true, like. You yeah. know what I mean? It was true. Now, oh, in God. fairness, in fairness, I saw somebody, somewhere on the line, that's all being changed now that, I won't call them a junket, but the junkets have now stopped. So if you want to travel, make your own way there or whatever. Well, we're getting a bit of a flavour of the amateur in rugby, and that's obviously changed professional and changed usually over the last 25 years. Nick Popwell, Mick Galway, and Niall Wood, stay with us after two o'clock. We're going to talk about the Lions tour this year, issues around concussion, and issues around the professional game now. 53106 for your text message. You've got a question for the lads. We're back after this with the panel. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. This is Off the Ball Saturday on News Talk. John Duggan with you through until five. You can text us on five three one zero six or tweet us at Off the Ball. We're back with the Saturday panel. We're talking about rugby's amateur era and the transition to professionalism with the former Munster and Shannon second row Mick Galway, the ex Leinster and Lions prop Nick Popplewell, and a winger who played for London Irish and was key in increasing the players' voice in the game with Arupa Nile Woods. Uh, it's now at the moment Wolves two West Brom three in the Premier League. We're streaming this conversation as well as listening on News Talk. You can watch us on the Off the Ball social channels for Periscope and Twitter at Off the ball on YouTube, on Facebook, and we're also streaming on the new OTB Sports app. Uh, guys, listen for the first half of the panel. Um, there's so many war stories and stories and so much enjoyment that you obviously had in the amateur era and when you played, guys, that I feel like I could walk out of here now for three hours, come back, and you'll still be exchanging great stories because you probably haven't seen each other maybe during COVID and everything for so long. Um, Nick, like when you played in the Lions Tour in New Zealand, you're one of the only Irish men to beat New Zealand for a long time. Um, how did that compare to then when you ended up at Newcastle winning the Premiership? Did you see the change between the amateur and the pro game coming in? Um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, the Lions trip to me, obviously, myself and Golov, I think, were the only lads that were picked to go out originally. Originally, yeah. originally yeah. Um, do you remember uh, Vinnie Cunningham and Richard Wallace came out later? Yeah, that didn't really count, though, did it? No, no, they, no, no, yeah. they probably saved it. Yeah. Okay. Just let's, let's promote ourselves today, Golov. Um, so I think, and the only reason we probably went out was because we actually, for some unknown reason, we beat England, I think, the night before they picked the squad. So I think apparently there was yeah. no Irish lads going to go out and then said, shag us, sure this. We may give them <laughs> a better, dust of Irish. We better there. bring a few paddies just in case. Bring a few huh? paddies. We're talking about paddies. I remember, and it shows you the amateur of the year. So this was still amateur. I brought out 12 bottles of putching. <laughs> and the reason I brought out 12 bottles of putching was God of myself were out touring New Zealand the year before. Remember that? And we actually nearly beat well. New Zealand the first test, and then it went yeah, horribly wrong after that. Yeah. But the <laughs> yeah. price of drink over there was ferocious, wasn't it? And we were kind of living on, I think, 20, 20 punts a day, which wasn't an awful lot. So I had this idea anyway. A good old boss of mine, John Rochford, who sadly has passed away, said, Listen, we talked about it. Bring over some putching, because every town has an Irish bar. And in fairness, even if they don't have an Irish bar, somebody puts up their hands and says, Yeah, of course we have an Irish bar. So every stop we had, as soon as we arrived, I went down to the probably the best barn, just kind of, or if there was a mighty mix or the shamrock or something in there, and you'd, the landlord would be there, give them a bottle of putching, and just you'd reminisce a little bit and say, you know, we'll see you after the match on Saturday or Wednesday. Remember, so PG sure O'Brien's enough, in Auckland. PG yeah? O'Brien's oh, in Auckland. That was the best spot. <laughs> anyway, free drink. Absolutely. <laughs> free trade, free drink. Absolutely. Yeah. Different times, in fairness, just different times, wasn't it? Because, in fairness, the Kiwis used to drink after the matches as well, didn't they? Not an they awful lot now, but they took a little bit. Anyway, when I went to Newcastle, okay, just because I know you want to stay on, on the team, went to Newcastle. Unfortunately, I was the first Irish player to go professional. 
And I say unfortunately because if I held back by three or four months, I would have got a better contract. But anyway, that's irrelevant. <laughs> we, I arrived over Newcastle freezing cold and from, you know, doing a bit. Of, no, we did a fair bit of training, like jokes apart. But suddenly I was training twice a day because that's all we did was train. So the first three or four months, it was really, really severe. And I think um, when I went over to Newcastle, it was two years before we won the Premiership. So the goal then was to stay up in the second division, which we did. We had to win the last three matches. And then the next year, the goal was to be promoted. And we finished second, I think, to Richmond. And then the third year, we won the Premiership. You know, was that as good as beating the All Blacks? To me, probably not, because I played the All Blacks, I think, 10 or 11 times and won once. So beating the All Blacks, to me, was a, was a huge feat. Um, saying that, you know, I went over to Newcastle to get a taste of good club rugby. You know, it was very good in Greystones at the time. Um, but I just wanted to push myself because I knew, you know, I was at the end of it. So. You encountered Clive Woodward, uh, Niall, when you were then in, in London. Did you get the sense already then that he was going to be such a successful coach that he became? No, he was absolutely rubbish. So, <laughs> he, um, Clive is an amazing individual. He's an unbelievable motivator, a great talker, but technically as a rugby coach, he wouldn't have been very good at the time. I had come from Eddie O'Sullivan in Black Rock in the AIL days, who at that stage was way ahead of his time in terms of an analyzing teams and players and everything like that. So Clive used to send me letters. I was working in my dad's accountancy firm in 1996, and he'd sign off because the Euro, Euros 96, which you'll all remember, was in the UK in the summer of 96, and the song that came out was Football's Coming Home. So I think it was around, it was after six of the Five Nations, so it was sort of March, April, May, had three or four letters, and he'd, he'd sign it off at Rugby's Coming Home. Um, he was bizarre. The first game we played in 96, he wanted us to wear different numbers. He wanted us all to dye our hair green. Um, but if you remember, the two boys who certainly remember him playing, he was an absolute sort of maverick on the pitch. He did some crazy stuff, which was way ahead of his time. So I think the problem he had with the London Irish was he didn't have a good enough squad. He went to Bath for a while and then he went to England. And obviously they have quite deep pockets in the RFU. And he's quite, not necessarily a bully, but he'll get his way when he wants it. Um, and it allied to having a really good team in 2003. Um, I think he went in there in 99, 2000. Um, it just peaked, their team in 03 for that World Cup just peaked right at the right time. But when I had him, certainly uh, he wasn't very good. You retired, uh, Niall. You, your, career was, your career was uh, cut short by injury. What would your advice be now to players that you know you represent or, or that you know you're an agent for about what you do life after rugby in, in terms of how you uh, develop a career, what you should be looking at for now, uh, given your own experience? The, the advice I gave when I started the Players Association as well was because when I finished, whilst I'd studied accountancy, I hadn't qualified because I'd left it to go and play pro over in England. So is do something when you're playing rugby so you make the transition when you do finish that bit easier. So there's also now a lot more supports for players than there was for the likes of me and others who, at least I'd worked sort of for three years in my dad's office, so I had some sense of what was going on because I was paid an absolute pittance as a trainee accountant. So most guys have never worked like four or five years younger than me, so if they played pro. So 
it's really getting making connections if they can do some work experience do some study and also over the years it's shown guys who are sort of switched on and have an interest outside of outside of pro rugby generally make that transition a bit smoother the guys who don't do anything find it harder just to acknowledge just marry a school teacher don't become an auctioneer anyway i'll tell you that much we were speaking about the Lions there, uh, Nick. Should the Lions happen this year or should they postpone it? Is it all about touring for you? I don't know. So, uh, it's funny, somebody said, mentioned it to me that today. They said, oh, I hear they might be playing a Lions match in Croke Park. So I infer from that that there might be one maybe in Twickenham. There might be one in Edinburgh. But, um, you know, you'd like to, you know, it's such a it's such a huge experience all around, um, you know, if you don't have a full house to watch them, I think it, I, I don't think it'd be the same. I think I know the logistics are tough. You know, doesn't mean you'd have to just you know skip for two or three years, or you know maybe I suppose you probably would have. Um, can you postpone it for one year? Probably not. Um, I think do it right. Full stop. I don't think half doing it now. I don't think. I think it's just too important to kind of half do it. Mick, uh, would you have a similar view to that? Yeah, look, um, and I suppose particularly from a playing point of view, you know, like when myself and Poppy went to, to New Zealand in 93, um, it, it was the last of the amateur tours, and uh, we were there for 10 weeks. Like, it was just, looking back at it, it was just phenomenal, because um, it's not, a, I suppose the Lions tour really is, not, it's not just about the test matches, it's about the whole tour itself, and it's about, you know, going to places. Like, when we were in New Zealand that time, we were in Hawke's Bay and places like that, that, I'd never seen a Lions tour, and I think they beat us actually. Thanks, Gollum. But, but um... not not us, you. Not. <laughs> oh, sorry, Pop. You were the you you were with you were playing the English back at that stage. You were you were with English. I was with my friends from the UK. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're yourself and the, the several other English followers. Yeah. Thank you very that. much, Gollum. Yeah. They had but, to pick um... one, as we said. Anyway, anyway, go on. Do you know this is really interesting? Keep going. But like, you know, you live you lived out of a out of a, a suitcase like for, for 10 weeks and you, you you were in two different places every week and it was that to me was because let's put it this way i i wasn't lucky enough like poppy i didn't make enough ass to get on the test side but um unfortunately i was in the midweek team and i <laughs> but i loved it and, and i swear to god i look back at it but with 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 um with great pride i suppose the older you get it's like to say the older you get the better you are but certainly Looking back on that, it was it was a great highlight just to go to all these places. Yeah, of and these and jokes to Mark Olive, I mean, anyone, I mean, Don Lennon would say as well, you know, the advocate of it is a good Lions tour is a happy Lions team. I mean, absolutely. And there's, there's basically very quickly, the issue with the Lions tour is very quickly breaks into two teams, a Wednesday team, and a Saturday team. And obviously yeah. the Wednesday team playing a Wednesday, they train very hard probably on a, you know, after that. So if they're playing on Wednesday, train hard Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the Saturday team, you know, it's, it's all pushed in. So you're not, you know, I suppose there's a lot of, there's two teams as such, and you're trying to keep that synergy going. You're trying to keep, if, mm. if the Wednesday team is happy, fantastic. If the Wednesday team is unhappy, if, you know, if they feel that they're not getting a fair cut at having a, a chance of playing on a Saturday, um, you know, and I'm not going to pick names. And when we were in New Zealand, yeah, yeah. you know, those four or five um, players, and I can't mention the fact they were from Scotland, but they lost interest very, very quickly. 
which basically disrupted the whole thing because uh, and, and, they didn't, and, they and the didn't give was, a company, you know. Yeah, and the Welsh fellas were homesick as well, so that's really like definitely didn't help. For some reason, myself and you, Poppy, we just we fitted in nicely. We but were just doing something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, and, and you're right. I remember then, Poppy, there was only 30 players, like, you know what I mean? So a lot of fellas had to bench every week and play or whatever, you know? Like, back mm. then, it was two players for every position. Now, yeah. you could have a Lions tour that could be 40 odd players on the track. Oh, sure. I mean, you go on, we were going to say maybe touch about the famous thing. I was actually going to scratch down a few things. You know, you're meeting lads and, oh, lads, you wouldn't make it today. The, geez, the, the game today is so tough. And I'm looking there and I'm saying, right. Here we go. Props today. 50 minutes max. Yeah. Then they go off, right? We had to play 80 minutes. Yeah. You know, the rest, you know, every seven or eight minutes, the TMO interrupts everything for three or four minutes and they start going through who did what or who might have done that. And yes, that could be. Who, you know, you know, who got caught, Poppy? That's, that's the thing. Yeah, but I mean, you at never the end of the day, Gollop, I mean, if somebody misbehaved, a quick slap. Absolutely. Sorted, and there wasn't any interruptions, you know. Um, I remember the first time I played, I think, in England, and I remember, geez, we were on our own line, sweating it out, scrum, pushed, we got, it was our scrum, um, got the ball back. I got a merciful belt, kick for touch, and I remember, Jesus, I was, uh, and we'll talk about concussion later on, I'm not trying to belittle concussion. Got to the line out, I think Clive Lorning was running the line, and he said to me, Gene Richards, Gene Richards. I said, oh, okay, thanks. No, so they were the are days when the, the linesmen sure? couldn't, huh? They couldn't you interrupt. Say, are you sure? <laughs> Shouldn't even come again, you know, you got him back, you got him back. You know, if you didn't get him you back, that's that's Healy, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, I would have seen him running away. <laughs> anyway, have I lost the train of thought? Oh, yeah, who else then? But, but is Poppy, he... it's interesting you talk about there. You, know, you talk about, um, and, and, and we mentioned it earlier, Back in the day, we'd play a match on a Saturday, and a tough match. And as you said, we'd have the few points after. We'd go up for the meeting. We'd have the meal. We'd go out that night. And then at half eight the following morning, a full scrummaging session. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that was so much for recovery and so much for... No, I mean, you know, exactly. We, we, I remember doing a set of scrums, and you mentioned Riggers before. Yeah. Um, Riggers the back row behind me. <laughs> Jesus, when I think of it. We played, I think we played a match against Galwegians. Had a rake of points, in fairness. Riggers drove back, and they were the days when there were very few cars and probably very, no cars on the road at that time of the day because I think we probably had no to leave around is. five o'clock in the morning. Scrummaging was there, and you always brought in a, a crowd. You see, the, you had, youngsters came in who really fancied their chances, so this was their chance yeah. really to make a make a thing. And the, <laughs> I can just remember one of them said, "Jesus, lads, the smell of drink," and Riggers was behind me, and I was so low on the scrum i was looking at the grass and it was, i don't say i was getting vertigo but i was just i could just see the grass moving around me absolutely but then again we did an hour and a half of scrummaging you know what i mean that's the thing and you look at the games now you, i mean you could look at a game now there could be eight scrums yeah we have maybe and we could have had 30 or 40 bloody scrums it's, a, it's, it's a completely different world lads it, it, it just sounds like yeah. a completely different world are you worried at all nick about with the concussion the very serious situation with steve thompson and that news that came out have you been worried at all about uh, any health issues yourself, given when you play the game? Or was the game at an amateur level a lot more um, different? 
Sorry. No, but it's a serious issue, concussion in the game. Um, uh, are, are, have you at all been ever worried about like you know your your health in later life, given the hits you would have got as a player? Well, you know, I, there's no like there's no doubt about it. I I've had a lot of concussions. Like you know, there's a great saying out there like I I got concussed, but I can't remember it. You know what I mean? And that's you know like I remember the scary thing about concussions. Sometimes you could get concussed in a game. And you'll be fine. And then you get to the dressing room after, and um, you just, it's like you're waking up from yeah. a dream. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And you said, Oh my God, what's happening? You know what I mean? That was a scary thing. And then you go up to the car park and you can't find your car. You know what I mean? So listen, we've all been there, and particularly Poppy, you, you know, I'm sure you, you, you've had you've had issues like well, that. I, I, I remember playing Australia in the World Cup, and I remember we had this, um, this is one moment we nearly did this, and we nearly beat them, in fairness, until. The backs. Remember that Rob Saunders made a poxy kick and it was intercepted. That was on TV. Side. That was on TV last night. I was watching it, by the way. Well, somebody sent me a video. You know, they sent me a screenshot of me doing nothing, and I. That was anyway. You just said, "Oh, the that statue." Could be the that could be anyway, we, yeah. I think the game plan, and that was was one game plan. Um, kick the ball up there. That was first time. I think we had the kickoff, so don't worry about where the ball was. Get there and hit the nearest Australian that's close to you. So, of course, yeah. there we go. I think Frana was supposed to go at Willie O, but he didn't. So I ended up oh. against Willie O. So I said, off. Oh, God's sake. So I hit this chap anyway, probably broke me, me knuckle. He turned around and bang. And I said, all I can say was, I can't remember any of the game, which is you know, horrific. But I had a fantastic game and I look back. I don't know what, what version of it you were watching, Poppy. I was watching that <laughs> And I tell you one thing. All Ireland did. And I like, you know the way you, you look, you hear about matches and, and you know, they say, Ireland was so good in 91, yeah. we should have beaten Australia. <laughs> I know. Yeah. All we did was kick the ball up in the air, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Right? The whole idea about kicking the ball up in the air was to cause mayhem. And you just hoped, you actually hoped the fullback would catch it, right? <laughs> that was your aim. You didn't want him to knock it on. You didn't want him to fumble it. You wanted him to catch it. And the, then the Indians come in and charge over him like, that was the game plan. True. Yeah, no, in fairness, yeah, that's the script. <laughs> but, you know, you, you can say, like, concussion was policed. Am I yeah. wrong? Because I, I, remember, I remember Fergus Dunley, who was Lansdowne, Leinster... Mm. That's right, yeah. He got a right. And he got three concussions one year, and he gave up playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And in fairness, you remember uh, Mick Malai, who was the Irish doctor at the time, you know what I mean? Do you remember Poppy? On a Sunday morning, we'd be all racing to Mick Malai and say, I've been knocking the head yesterday. You You probably did. But there was always two or three fellas that be left out of training. But the whole idea was to get Mick Malai first, and then we'd, we'd be left out. But honestly, there was often days that you would get a bad knock. Yeah. Let's put it this way. Um, if it was now, there'd be the, you know, the, the HIA return yeah. to yeah. play protocols. Back then, it was just get back onto the pitch. Niall, the players... You know the calls. Yeah, Niall, the players you represent, I mean, how do they feel about the, the current issue and, and the, the revelations in, in recent months about, about early onset dementia and concussion? I think it's like anything. When you're, when you're in it, you don't think about it a huge amount. Um, also, what Poppy and Gallagher are talking about is is alien to the to the modern guys. It's nearly alien to me because I was on the wing. Um, I only got concussed once. 
uh, was mid nineties, I actually saw Lawrence Delario sort of exposed at the side of a rook and his ribs, and I went in from the wing. But I got so excited that I was going to hit someone, which I rarely did. I actually tripped and hit my head off his hip and knocked myself out. So I, I generally didn't get any concussions, but you still got hit around the place, missing tackles mainly. Um, so today, they literally, sometimes they get it's nearly overboard, which I agree with, so that therefore the safety is better. But any sort of knock, they're gone. They're off the pitch. Even if it's not seen, there's guys in the stand watching, uh, members of the management team, and there's an independent medic there. So it's a lot safer now, and they don't get, they don't come back and play I, I early I enough. Like, like we had some um, widget on their necks, some kind of an implant which apparently monitors concussion. Yeah, it's in the GPS thing. It measures the impacts and stuff. So the, 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 the sort of science and the medicine behind it now is so much better. The real risk is probably for the likes of us who played amateur and into pro, particularly Poppy was talking about it earlier, where when he went pro in Newcastle and he trained twice a day, I can remember the first tour, we went to New Zealand in 97. It was an Ireland development tour, it was called, the year of the Lions tour. The rest basically went to New Zealand for five or six weeks and the manager didn't know what to do with us because they'd never been on a tour like that before where they could train you full time. So we were two, three sessions a day like, and then you go out and get absolutely walloped by a team in, in New Zealand. So um, there are the concerns where guys got knocked out and you just got up and played. Like I, I can remember some guys being knocked out twice in the game and he didn't, we didn't know any better. And nor did the medics at the time. So there are probably the concerns. So when you see someone like Steve Thompson, it's definitely a concern. But I have three kids. The eldest boy is 13. He wants to be a pro rugby player. What, do you, say, some, what do you say to him now? Do, do, do you encourage it? Yeah, he plays Gaelic football as well, and he plays soccer. So I'm letting him do all three. Until someone tells me there's a 100% link to whatever, whether it's dementia or other things. I still think it's a great game. Like my father had dementia. He passed away earlier or last year. My mum has dementia. So there's a high chance I'm one in four that I'll actually have dementia. And that's irrespective of me playing rugby or not. So I'm sort of fairly qualified, I would think, to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I have kids going into the game and obviously I've seen this, what happens to them in dementia cases. So I also would have seen, I played with a guy, Jared Cunningham, in late 90s, early 2000s, a Kiwi who got motor neurons at 33. So, unfortunately, there is people in rugby, in soccer, and don't play sports who get these diseases. It's horrendous. They're probably the two worst, in my opinion. I don't want to be flippant about it, but, I mean, heavens forbid, there's always, you know, people are going to get dementia, and you're, I think, yeah. again, we're not qualified, I suppose, to talk about it, but, you know, I do know people who are in their, I know some early 50s who has dementia and she wouldn't have played sport ever and now again it's yeah. very easy to pick one off cases but yeah i mm. think and then you know kind of say well you know why doesn't everyone wear scrum caps and then people say well because american footballers wear bloody helmets and mm. they've the, a huge instance of i think neck injuries and stuff so, which there's an inference there you know may lead to dementia you know 
Um, just in terms of where we're looking at this year, and as you said correctly, Niall, the game has completely changed. We, we hear like uh, Nick and, and Golly's stories about the amateur days and how much fun it was. Uh, Ireland going into the Six Nations, just uh, Mick on Paul O'Connell. Uh, as, as a forwards coach and psychologically, what's he going to add to the equation with Andy Farrell, do you think, Mick? I think he's going to bring something, <clears throat> maybe that what Ireland have been lacking in, or particularly in the last season. Um, Paul O'Connell, by his nature, is, is um, you know, he, he, he demands a lot of, the, of, of himself. He certainly will demand a lot of the players around him. You know, he'll bring, I think he'll bring that hard edge into them. He'll bring that bit of, um, bit, bit of fire into them. And, and, you know, and you can say what you want. Sometimes that's very important. Even in the modern game, you know, you need to have the bit of bejesus about you. And I'd certainly Paul will bring that along with a very skill, a great skill set that he has. Um, I remember like, when, you know, when, when he came onto the Munster team first and then, and I and I played with him when he got his first cap for Ireland. He just brought a new dimension to everything as a player. And I know he's done that, you know, for, for, for Munster, Ireland and, and indeed the Lions. And what he's going to bring to this this pack is, I think, is going to be very useful to this Irish team because you've a lot of good young players. Um, they know the game inside out, but, you know, no matter what you say, Paul would bring something to that dressing room, to that pitch, to that warm-up, to that, 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 that pre-match or whatever that um, these players haven't seen before. I certainly think it will be a, a huge benefit to, to, to the squad. I think technically... As well, Golov, who brings so much because he's so obsessive about line out, and that's what he's been brought in for. And if you look back over the last couple of years, even before Rory Best retired, the line out wasn't really functioning. You, you sort of take Dev Toner out of the line out, and it's a different kettle of fish altogether. So I think he'll, particularly with the younger guys who are coming through, who aren't as experienced line out callers, Paulie's expertise in that area is probably going to help. Uh, relieve the pressure on Andy Farrell probably of a lineup not functioning. And you know what? He'll be great for James Ryan. Like we saw James Ryan captaining Ireland there recently. And and, and to be honest, um, it kind of you could see that he wasn't playing to his the best of his own ability. And Paul will teach him those skills. You know, you can still play. You can still be a captain. You can still do all the calls, and it won't affect your own game. And that's and that's a skill set in itself. And Paul will certainly help players like that. Uh, we got some text in here. Uh, five three one zero six. My first away game ever. Columbia Munster nineteen ninety nine. Munster won thirty one fifteen. Mick was like a raging bull. Then were the days. A few points with the squad on the way home. Uh, great show. Real rugby men. That is from Pete and Niall. Are you like a, a father with do with children uh, when it comes to Gary Ringrose and Andrew Conway when they're doing so well? Given you represent them. Yeah, I don't watch the match like a, an ex player <laughs> or a fan. Really, when I've clients playing, I'm generally watching that they don't get injured. Right. Um, are badly injured so there's different times where you can enjoy it but a lot of the time you're just sort of watching for your guys so it's a bit sort of weird but generally my eldest fellow Oliver uh, will watch with it so he, he's a bit of a stato already he's probably a, a sort of Paul O'Connell in the making albeit he won't be in the second row um, so yeah it's it's funny you, you do you build up a rapport the longer you'll have a relationship so I'm doing this 10 years now so Jordy Murphy up in Ulster is my first client. So I'm not saying I'm best friends with him, but I'd have the, probably the best relationship because I have the longest relationship with him. So there's, you'd probably talk more with someone who you've worked with longer, like in any walk of life. But uh, it's definitely enjoyable, although I did think pre-Christmas was probably too much rugby on the TV uh, with all the internationals and all the Pro 14 and Europe and everything. So it's, in a way, it's not bad having two weeks off. 
And now when you're representing players uh, and you're doing, you know, maybe possibly contracts and that kind of thing, um, can you understand the RFU's position around uh, players that are playing overseas for French or English clubs, and it could be more attractive now uh, post-COVID, um, that don't get the opportunity to play for Ireland, Simon Zebo being one example? No, for me, I think they, sh they should just say, you, if, you, if you go away, you're probably not going to play. The, the likelihood is you're not going to play, but I don't think they should rule it out. Certainly, if you look at Zebo. He was playing very well for Racing and we were struggling for a 15 since Rob Carney's retired. So I don't think we have enough players to put it in place. New Zealand can do it. England can do it. But the likes of Scotland, they don't win as many games as we do. But the ones they do, they wouldn't win them without the likes of a Stuart Hogg, Johnny Gray, who are both down in Exeter. So I think in a way you could say it saves the RFU money if, if a few of them go away. Uh, the old argument was they lose control of the player and the welfare, which still exists but certainly if they go and play in England they don't play as many games as they used to and it wasn't like when we went and played where they flogged the players there's an element of that still in France there's probably too many games but as Poppy said at the start of the show some of the players these days probably don't play enough so I think we, we may be slightly overprotective of some players um, whereas outside of Ireland there's probably two, the other way maybe three or four games too much when you go outside outside of Ireland and maybe three or four games too little in Ireland for the top guys. And Nick, how do you think we're equipped with the Six Nations at the moment? I think I, I think we'll be okay, you know what I mean? No, Nick. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, Nick. thanks, Nick, Gollum. Nick. Thanks, Gollum. Sorry, yeah, I'm still here, <laughs> no, boys. Nick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think at the moment, there's no doubt to, to generalise it, we're, we're rebuilding at the moment. And I think... Um, you know, we have to just sit back a little bit and just, we're going to have, a, there's no doubt, you know, we're on the way up. And we're going to have a couple of steps back before we start having, you know, three or four steps forward. And I think, you know, as a general public, you know, look at all the great names now who really, they're either, they've retired or really, you know, they're getting very close. They might have another year left. I think there's probably an argument, you know, should some of the senior players maybe, bow out now and just, you know, let's get these other players blooded. Um, saying that, you know, it, it, to keep a, a team structured, um, it's hard if you make a total, you know, too big of, of, a, of a clean out. And the other thing too is, I suppose you have coaches there that are probably tied into, you know, I presume you're tied into win bonuses or your, your you know, your contract will be renewed in two or three years time if you have a 70% win ratio. So I think you have a few things that kind of play against each other. Um, but, you know, I'm obviously, I'm looking at the front row and I can see some, you know, some very good young players coming through. But I would, I suppose, I'd like to see them getting more game time somehow. I don't know whether you can put more A matches on. Obviously, we're restricted at the moment. But I think the, the amount of game time they're getting, I don't think they're going to get a fair enough chance to, um, I think, to progress a little bit quicker. Mick, we will get you uh, the final word on this. How are, how are we going to do in Six Nations, you think? Um, yeah, look, I, I think we'll be okay. You know what I mean? This, this, um, there probably won't be any crowds, um, which, you know... Some, we don't really depend on that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what I like about this Irish team and, and indeed Irish teams over the last decade is, is it doesn't matter where we go and play anymore. Um, 
you know, or, or, or form is good. But certainly, yeah, we need a bit of luck along the way. Um, we see that, like, Munster are back then well. Leinster have always done well. Connacht are, are you know, are there or thereabouts. And Ulster have had a good season. So, you know, you look at your top players, um, and, and particularly your, 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 your key players and your decision makers, they're playing well. I'd, I'd worry a bit about Johnny Sexton. You know what I mean? He's he's um, he's he's still our captain. He's still the main man, but he just seems to be picking up niggly injuries that he wasn't maybe a number of years ago. And it'll depend on that. It's good to see Conor Murray back playing well, and um, I certainly think that if we can pick from a full squad, we have a good chance. But what we we'll need to do is, you know, when we come up against the likes of England, England are building a reputation now that they're bullying teams and and you know that they're that they know sometimes they feel that they're better than you when you go onto the pitch. And Ireland are going to have to go back to believing that they're equally, if not better than England. Uh, England is the key. Wales are, are not the team they were. France, of course, are, are the up-and-coming team. So England and France are the teams to beat. But I certainly think that we have the um, the equipment and, and the players. And in fairness, Golov, with the um, implementing or the you know, bringing in of Paul into the into the setup, that will definitely you know put an edge. Because in fairness... Certainly, youngsters. You know, it's very easy to to face up against these teams and kind of stand yeah. back. Whereas lads, two arms, two legs, one head. At the end of the day, Absolutely. you get cut yeah. into those players. You know, you look at the the club matches that they're playing over there. You okay. get them up front, and they're a different side. Look at what France gives them. You know. Okay, Nick Popplewell, Mick Galway, Niall Woods. You've been great sports for uh, joining us on the Saturday panel over the last hour to speak about the amateur era. Seemed like an absolute riot and also some issues pertinent to the current game of rugby. Thanks so much this afternoon, guys. Cheers, Thanks, guys. God bless. Okay, uh, back after this on Off The Ball Saturday. The Saturday panel on Off The Ball. OTB AM. With Gillette, we don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. 